Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. The premise that I was offering this morning is that God who fashioned each of us in the womb, when He made us and designed us, He didn't just uh, frame our facial bone structure. He didn't just decide how tall we were going to be. He didn't uh, fix our, just fix our personality and so forth. But he was weaving into the very fabric of our being a spiritual component, spiritual things like your conscience that really isn't going to evolve. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he wove into your very being this thing that we call your spirit. And even though the word soul and spirit kind of gets used interchangeably in the church, we're told in the book of Ephesians that your spirit, that's that totally purely uh, spiritual part of you, before we come to Christ, is dead in sin. And because it is dead, it doesn't really function in any way. Uh, so a person can have um, this spiritual component inside of them, but not have it be activated we know that our conscience can be seared by perpetual sin. And if we continue to sin and don't confess that sin and don't allow God to rid us of that uh, stuff and that uncleanness, it eventually hardens our heart to the place, our heart is our belief organ, and it can eventually come to the place that my, my heart becomes ossified, petrified. And it's so stony that it isn't able to believe. So your conscience, which is very, very spiritual, can ultimately be so seared as to be insensitive. And the point of my, my, what I was saying this morning is not to make anyone worry, oh my goodness, is my conscience okay? I'm just telling you that there's more to you than your physical makeup, more than just the natural things that are part of you. And among the spiritual components that God uh, framed you with, that when you were there in the womb, uh, and the scripture says in Psalm 139, that he was forming your unseen parts. And it uses a really peculiar analogy by saying, in the depths of the earth. And it's not like dwarves are down there banging away on an anvil to make you, mm, yeah, mm, okay, now, now you. But it's in the invisible realm. You and I are both natural beings, but we are also spiritual beings. So I will take you, if you have your Bible um, right now, I'm going to invite you to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I don't know if we still have a scripture on the, sc uh, the screen from this morning. Of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if we read verses 4, 5, and 6, this will set us up, I think, for where we can end up going the rest of this evening. When we talk about is it on the screen? Oh my goodness, there it is. It's like, <laughs> that's me being excited. That little, <laughs> that was me being excited. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's just read these and then we'll see if we can unpack them a little bit. Paul is describing spirituals, just these not so easy to define invisible God things, empowerments, enablements uh, that he gives to us so that we can be more effective in ministry. And he's going to be outlining three different kinds of spirituals that are a part of our, our individual lives. 
So he says there's different kinds of spiritual gifts. That's the most common. That's the one that we talk about a lot. Those are words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecy, discerning of spirits, etc. And if you've been around a church very much, you, you hear about that. Very often, we will hear somebody give a prophecy or someone will share a word and the pastors or someone will read a word of wisdom that's talking a bit about the season of life that you're in and what God is up to in your life. My favorite picture of the word of wisdom is somebody standing there and they're, they're a little cold and then a nice person walks up and says, it's winter. And they're like, oh, that explains everything and then they can put on their winter coat and they're fine. When God gives you a word of wisdom, he's trying to alert you to what it is that he's up to so that you and I know better how to cooperate and how to participate in what he's up to. So the spiritual gifts are the kinds of things that most often get talked about in church. But that's just one of the three. The second one that he describes, he says there are different kinds of service. And this word service could be translated ministry, it could be translated uh, like the station that you are in. If you're a waiter and you're taking care of these nine tables, that's your station and that's the thing that you've got covered. Uh, maybe a, a natural counterpart to that would be uh, like our, our, the worship team that's up here. And when they're taking care of the worship, if you think of it that way, it doesn't mean that they're the only ones doing it, but because they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, everybody else like me that's not so musical. Let's just have a poll. How many of you are not very musical? Did I say how many of you? How many of us are not very musical? It's okay. You don't have to be ashamed. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, if it's not for people who are taking care of that kind of thing, I'm not going to do so well. So... Um, the kinds of spiritual ministries that we call or stations that we, we will call, I'm going to give you a list of them a little bit later. So we have spiritual gifts that are not a part of your makeup when you are designed by God. Your spiritual gifts come into your life after you come to Christ and the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. But your spiritual uh, service or your, your ministry, if you want to think of it that way, that's woven into you in the womb. Jeremiah said before, he understood from God, before he was formed in the womb, God called him forth as a prophet. So that maybe is a good distinction. Spiritual gift, you've heard the word prophecy, but now your ministry, or in this translation, your service, prophet. And prophecy is a gifting prophet is an assignment or a body part that I have. And each of us, just as we can uh, pursue spiritual gifts and each of us are designed to function in various spiritual gifts in exactly the same way, every one of us has these ministries or these, uh, these assignments from the Lord. And then he concludes this section by saying that, uh, let's see, that's me trying to read. Okay, there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same God. Okay, God works in different ways. It's just a different translation than the one that I'm, I'm used to. Um, if you take that whole phrase, he's really saying literally there are different ways in which these combinations of spirituals can actually work out. And how they manifest themselves can be quite different. 
So when we uh, talk about things that the Bible doesn't explicitly say precisely this and this and this, it's very important that we take a bit of a generous approach. And Paul, when he's talking about all of these spirituals, he's trying to alert you that they're not so rigidly defined that you can come up. It's not like a Christian horoscope or something that gets nailed for you. It is God telling you that there is nobody in the world like you. And rather than us comparing ourselves to other people on natural terms, he invites us to understand that every single one of us is uniquely configured by God. And ultimately, his desire for our life is that we would live and, and, and function in such a way that the gifting that is inside of us would kind of have a readout. Good, for instance, if God designed you as a toaster, which he did not. I'm just, okay, in case you're worried. Oh, no, uh, no, no. If he designed you as a toaster, what are you supposed to do? Pop up? No, that's what goes inside of you pops up. If your toaster is popping up, you should call someone. Yeah. Okay. A toaster. Toast. Well done, class. Okay, there we are. <laughs> okay. right. Let, we'll try another one. Let, let's redeem ourselves. Okay. If, if you are a hammer, what do you do? Ham? No, no, you pound. You pound. Yes, you pound. Right, there we are. You pound. Okay. So if you, here's my advice. If you are a hammer, don't try to be a saw. It's ugly. Now, could a claw hammer actually cut a bore? Yeah. But it's... it's Pound. If you're a saw, if you're a screwdriver, go round in circles. See? That's what you're thinking. Oh my goodness, revelation, that's what I am. I... God made you uniquely. And we serve a God that names every star in the sky. And if you imagine that this vastly creative God sort of hit upon a real winner kind of a personality about 400 years ago, and he's now been stamping those same clones out for the last 400 years. Oh, no. He is a God who took nine months to fashion you, and you ain't like anybody else. The problem is that because we don't hear very much about these I just like the term spiritual ministries as opposed to spiritual gifts. Many of us feel as though we're failing in our Christian walk and God who loves us wants us to mature and develop and function in these better and better and better. Okay, that was this morning. Good evening. <laughs> so we're going to pick the storyline up also in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, but I want to take you over to verse 20. 27, I think. Is that what I told the person on the overhead? Let's see. 28, right. All right, let me just read verse 27 because it's, 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 it's appropriate. There we are. He, he, he kind of is summarizing the whole rest of this chapter and he says that you are Christ's body but individually members of it because the analogy that he has been using is that these spiritual ministries are like body parts, an eye or an ear, a nose, etc., etc. And if you are a nose, you're supposed to 
smell, breathe, twitch. Yes, right, we got them all. Okay. You're not supposed to hear. You're supposed to do what you do. But imagine the dilemma if the other parts of, of the body, if you're the nose and you're concentrating on breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, and the rest of the body isn't listening, isn't looking, isn't feeling, isn't walking, can you see how it hampers and hinders the entire body? And so the the, the, the desire of God for us is not only that we would learn to function in how we are because it's very fulfilling. And maybe you've had situations. Let me give you a for instance. Let's take an exhorter, which is one of these, these spiritual ministries, and a teacher, okay? Exhorter and a teacher. They're, they're like polar opposites almost. An exhorter is a person who... Um, Everything reminds them of them. If they're in a situation and they're talking to someone, oh, that reminds me of the time that I... And, you know, that reminds me of when I... They, they can actually talk in a circle. They can be on the phone. You can put it down, and they can just have a conversation with themselves. Right? They are so verbal. You know that you're an exhorter if people love to have you go and watch a movie and then tell them about it and they enjoy your telling of the movie more than watching the movie itself, then you're an exhorter. And so you're just, you, exhorters have never met somebody that they didn't know. It, within two seconds, they're like best friends. Exhorters have no sense of social decorum whatsoever. They have no idea that they're not supposed to sit down right next to that person, even though, you know, in church sometimes we put our Bible with a spike in it in case anybody sits on it and move over, buddy. But these, these guys, they're clueless. They just sit right down and start talking to you, and you feel like it's your new best, best friend. So if you're training an exhorter to do a Bible study, you want to say to the exhorter, get a verse. Just one Bible verse, and then it can remind you of everything that you want. But start with a Bible verse. Um, if you have a coffee ministry, or tea ministry, I guess it would be, a coffee tea ministry, um, let's say people aren't talking so much. You know, they're just kind of drinking their, their tea. You put an exhorter in charge of it, and they're going to be out talking to everybody, but the coffee will be bad <laughs> because they won't remember. They're, they're putting in two scoops, three scoops, and, you know, that reminds me of the time they start talking over here, and when they come back, they don't know if it was two or three. They don't really care. They just put in the rest of it and keep talking. Great conversation, lousy coffee. <laughs> and if you tell an exhorter, come on now, you need to make this coffee better. Don't talk so much to everybody. They'll die. <laughs> and they will decide, you know, forget serving. This is too, forget it. Now, if you're a teacher, you're a gift mix of a teacher. Teachers love order. They believe that things have like point one, two, three, four. Personally, I'm like, why bother with numbers when you're talking? But, you know, they've got points. Mm-hmm. And if a teacher is doing coffee ministry, within two weeks, they will laminate instructions for how to make the coffee on the back over here, right? Perfect coffee, but they don't talk to anybody. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. They told me to make the coffee. I'm making the coffee. So if you're training a teacher to do Bible study, 
you tell them, not the exhorter, you say, get a life. The teacher, you say, or, excuse me, the exhorter, you say, get a verse. The teacher, you say, get a life, buddy. Get a life and use an example or two. When you are pressed or crowded into functioning in a way that you weren't designed to function, you don't find ministry very fulfilling. Okay? So he's saying that we need everybody together. And now, starting in verse 28, Paul is going to give us a somewhat jumbled list of these ministries that we're talking about, but also spiritual gifts. And his point in this list is to say that there is no one person who does everything and that God has actually designed the body to work in such a way that we all need one another because nobody is supposed to do everything. And we're going to now begin to get a list of some of these um, body parts, some of these ministries that we find throughout the scripture. And that's the main thing that I want to do this evening is to take you to three passages where we're going to see several of these uh, components or several of these spiritual ministries uh, outlined. I want to define some of them for you and see if it won't be helpful. Okay, so here we are, verse 28, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And God has appointed or set in the church first apostles and second prophets third teachers, then miracles or effectors of miracles, sign gift kind of ministry. And then, now he's switching back to gifts, spiritual gifts of healings, and then he switches back into ministries of helps. The ministry of helps, helpers, servant kind of people, they just love to do something for somebody else. Uh, they don't want to be in the spotlight. They just want to do something to serve and take care of, of, of somebody like that. And, boy, they will clean things. They will just do whatever they can do. They're so excited behind the scenes. And very often, like for church common meals or something, we have all these dear servants that are in the back. They're cooking. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And we think we're going to bless them by bringing them out so we can all applaud for these people that don't like the limelight at all. And we bring them out and stand them in front and we say, good for you, bravo. They're dying inside. <laughs> if you want to bless a server, don't make them public. Go back to where they're serving and thank them for how what they have done somehow advanced or made something easier for you. That's music to their ears. When you say, you've just made this so easy for me to do. A teacher, music to a teacher's ear, if you want to get a teacher to stop teaching, you know, if they go long, you want me to tell you how to do it? Won't work on me, I'm not one of them. All you have to do at any point is just stand up and cry out, I, I get it. And the teacher just doesn't know. <laughs> I was just getting started, see. Because when you tell a teacher, you know, I didn't really understand until you explained it. They're like, oh. I mean, if they have that personality, they might just go. <laughs> okay, he lists another one now, administrations or um, 
it's a kind of a leadership. I, I use the term, just to make it more understandable, a leader champion. A leader champion is a little different than a server in that the leader champion, they tend to mobilize a lot of other people to take care of certain kinds of things. So they don't just do the job themselves, but they somehow get a whole group of people to do things. Their idea of fun is getting a lot of other people to work and to serve together, right? And if you get a kick out of that, that might be part of what your ministry is. Okay, then he talks about various kinds of tongues, and then he poses these rhetorical questions, meaning that the answer is obvious. All are not apostles, are they? So that's another gift mix. And unfortunately, in the church today, um, do you hear a lot of this talk in New Zealand about apostle this and that? And, I mean, God bless you. You are in the Bible, I guess. But hmm. apostle, <laughs> that, that doesn't quite work for me. <laughs> Because if you actually read what the Bible talks about apostles, they just get walked on. They, they go in as the foundation. What, what, does a, what happens to a foundation? Yeah, it gets walked on. So when you say, oh, yes, I'm an apostle, <laughs> I kind of want to say, well, let's, let's see. Go ahead and get down at my feet. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh-huh. I can feel it. You're very apostolic. Yeah. Okay, super. <laughs> no, really, all that an apostle is, they just, they just go places where the gospel hasn't fully penetrated. And they might go to different people groups, but they also explore, um, I don't want to say new teachings or new understandings, but they're a little bit fearless. And if you're one of these people and you, you, you see, you walk up to a, maybe a mountain or something and you see there's already a trail going up it, and you think, well, that's a waste to go on that trail. Let's forge a new one. Then you've got that apostolic kind of a gifting. Uh, you, you don't ever say, oh, oh, where are we? You don't really care where you are. You just start going and you get a bunch of people to, to follow. So it's not an accident that this word apostle, the word missionary can kind of even be almost used synonymously. There are people that somehow have the fortitude to just go and they put down some homesteading some anchor, and because of what they do, uh, many other people are secured and brought along uh, with them. It's not meant to be some whoo kind of like this. Where was I? I don't know if we're going to get to all three passages. I'm having a little bit too much fun. You know, my wife says to me, can you believe this? Guys, I'm talking to you now. Perk up. Can you believe this? My wife says, she says, you're only intolerable, and she's not talking about you. I mean, she's, she says, you're only intolerable when you're in a really bad mood or a really good mood. <laughs> this from the woman who said to me that she reserves the right to have two completely contradictory opinions about the same thing. <laughs> Guys, you know what I'm saying? How do you work with this? <laughs> Well, we're celebrating 41 years of, um, of, of marriage, so apparently I've managed to stay between these two tortures <laughs> places. Oh, where were we? Yep. Mm -hmm. So all are not apostles. All are not prophets. 
All are not teachers. All are not workers of miracles. All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. Okay, so we're getting a list of some of these gift mixes. An apostle, a prophet, is just someone who seems to have this timely sense of what the Lord is saying. And many, many conversations. They don't even really know what they're saying. They're just talking along. And people will say to them, Whoa, that is so strange that we're talking about this today. Do you know I was just thinking about that over here? It's one of the ways that their prophetic uh, gifting, they live through things that can often let us know what's up ahead. And when I was pastoring, I liked to keep my eye on the prophets, not because... Well, and they can sometimes get a little out there. But I like to keep my eye on the prophets because they're like a radar and they let me know what's, uh, what's developing or what's, what's coming down the pike. We talked about the teacher and the teacher's passion is to make sure that people have good doctrine. You know, right now in the body of Christ, we are in a season that the scriptures describe as there being a famine for the Word of God. Um, your pastor and I talked about it, Don, Chris, and I, we talked a, a bit. I think we, we kind of concur this way. And I'm, I'm not, I am an old man, but I don't want to be an old man that, like this. But I don't know how else to say it. There is only one thing that really, really can change people. It's the Word of God. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of getting a field here, but you can tell as I drift away from the lectern. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, call him back. No. All day today, I've been thinking about an episode in my life many years ago. And I only hesitate to bring it up to you um, be, because I'm not trying to say something about myself. And I'll tell you later what I'm not saying about myself, okay? I was 17 years old and I was sitting in a, a, a church group for young adults. And there was a man who was teaching the Word of God like I had never in my life heard it taught. There was such a richness, such a depth of what he was sharing that I found myself thinking a lot, how on earth did he get that from that verse? Not because I thought it was screwy, but when, when he was teaching, I just knew, that's right, that's right, but I didn't see it. And so I made it a statement in my mind, and I said, I would like to teach like that man teaches. Now here's what I'm not saying about myself that I'm teaching that way, and everyone in here has been going, oh, how did he get that from that verse? Okay. So that's not the part of the story that's important. The part that's important is, as we're told in 1 Timothy uh, chapter, chapter 3, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, that's a great thing that they want to do. And we know that the Bible talks about these overseers or these elders working hard at teaching the Word of God. And that, that episode kept coming back to me, and I, 
I just believe, and I submit this, of course, Pastor, if, this, if I'm prophetically, you know, like a balloon without being tied. <laughs> I think that there are some of you who should aspire to being a woman, a man, who really teaches the Word of God. I'm not going to have a band come up. We're not going to have you do an altar call. But if you've ever in your life had a thought, it doesn't mean you have to become a full-time you know, preacher person. But we need you. And the body of Christ just is losing a lot of understanding that 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it's as though the Lord squeezed the bellows a bit and you could just sense the power of the Word of God. It wasn't just, you know, charismatic kind of, you know, it was, it was the Word of God. And it's as though the body of Christ in its understanding, not inflated in a bad way, but we began to understand things. And it's like the church has had a slow leak for 40 years and the tires are getting very flat. And it won't be people like me. <laughs> it's going to be men and women like you who understand that by the Spirit of God, the Word of God can come so alive. As Paul said to his young friend Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Because if you will persevere in this, you will bring rescue and salvation, not just for yourself, but for people around you. So, it's a great thing to teach the Word of God. And there could be scores of you. Because generally, I don't have a thought like that if it's just one of you. I think it scores of you. I'm supposed to be finished, right, in 15 minutes? 10 minutes. 15. Six, no, 15, okay. <laughs> Did you notice I didn't ask you? I asked a fellow preacher person who knows the agony. But he didn't cut me much slack either. All right, there we are. <laughs> So let me take you quickly, if I can, to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and we're going to encounter another uh, list that I personally put in the same category of your ministry service that God has given to you. It's a beautiful passage, Romans chapter 12. We're not going to read uh, all of the chapter, just verses 3 through 8, but let me remind you that this, these verses that we're about to read come on the heels of Paul saying to his friends, this is your spiritual service of worship. This is the way that you can minister. This is the way that you can worship, that you present yourself to God as this living sacrifice, that you invite him to change and transform you, and instead of being conformed to the thinking that the world has to offer, you say to him, I want to be your woman, I want to be your man. God, you work your will inside of me. So it's in the context of us offering our entire life to God that Paul then 
uh, will tell us, starting in verse 3. For through the grace that is given to me, I say, I'm reading out of my translation, so you, you can follow along. Uh, through the, the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a certain measure of faith. So he's saying, don't get all puffed up and think you're everything, but I would hasten to add, don't think so lowly of yourself that you can't imagine that God who gives grace, a God who changes us into more significant players in the kingdom, don't imagine that he somehow left you out of all of this. So now he's going to describe several more of these ministries uh, that you will see here, okay? So he says, verse 4, just as we have many members in one body and all the members don't have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts or assignments that differ according to the grace that has been given to us, let each of us exercise them accordingly. And now he's going to, again, sort of blur the list a little bit between spiritual gifts and ministries. So he says, if prophecy is what you're functioning in, if that's the manifestation that you're doing just now, um, then I lost my place. Yeah, then according to the measure of your faith, if service, there's that ministry again of being a servant, if service in your serving, or the one who teaches, there's that ministry of the teacher, or he who exhorts, that's the exhorter, in his exhortation, he who gives. Now that's a ministry that I haven't talked about very much, the ministry of the giver. Now before you panic and think, oh God, no, not that one. Not that. If you're worried about it, you're not it, I can tell you. Okay, give... It's not, that, it's not that givers just, you know, they just give money, give money, give money. It's that givers, when they get asked for money or when they decide that they're going to help, they don't in their mind count how much money they have in their wallet. They don't want to say, can I afford to give this? If you think, can I afford to give this? You're not a giver. You're a nice person and you should still give. And yes, you can and give more. Hallelujah. But that's not your gift mix. Givers are just... They give money in the same way that prophets give prophecies or that teachers give teachings. Can you imagine a teacher who says, well, I'd, I'd like to share with you, but I'm only going to give you half of the teaching because I'm afraid I won't have one next week. <laughs> no, are you kidding? If you talk to a teacher, they'll say, I got one, I got two, I got five. You want them all? Because if they give those teachings to you, they know that they're going to have more to be able to give in the future. And that's how givers think about money. Weird, huh? But that's how they think. And they love to make things possible for other people. We already talked about the exhorter and uh, the one who gives, the one who leads, and the one who shows mercy. This is a very misunderstood ministry, the mercy shower. Okay, mercy is kind, but a mercy shower is not just a... 
I'm sorry. Mercy showers, I think of them, sorry ladies, they're sort of the forceps in the kingdom. You know, let that sink in just for a moment. <laughs> really, somebody get me better notes, please. That's, that's like, okay, anyway. My point is that, what is my point? Quick, quick, it's the jet lag. My point is this, that mercy can stretch further than anything. And when we all have friends, right, who wander away, we have friends that make bad choices. We ourselves have made bad choices. And when a person gets really, really far away from the truth, they don't want to hear a prophet, Thus saith the Lord, I see how far thou hast art. You know, they don't want to hear a prophet. And they don't want to hear a pastor. Come on, just, just, just come to church. Just come. Just, they don't want to hear a pastor. They don't want to, they, maybe a giver, but really, <laughs> the mercy shower. Because mercy stretches so far. And the mercy shower doesn't care why you are where you are. The mercy shower never calculates, you know, if you hadn't have done that, you wouldn't be in this situation. They don't care if you slammed your own elbow in the car. Like, just for fun. Bam! Oh! Oh! And you go to a mercy shower, they're not going to say, you know, you did this to yourself. No, the mercy shower is just going to show mercy. And very few people can withstand the mercy of God coming at them. And mercy showers are not depressive people. They're pretty cheerful. They just don't get overwhelmed by other people's stuff. Okay? Usually mercy showers don't have discerning of spirits. They would go crazy um, in, in, inside. Okay, I've just got a few minutes. Can I take you to one more passage? It's the best known of these three. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And it gives us a list of several more of these, these ministries. So we're going to re be reading in whatever is on the screen. Yes, verses 11 and 12. This scene is describing what happened when Christ ascended on high. He did a really, really interesting thing. He gave special gifts to his body. But the gifts that he gave were not things like, like an endowment fund. He didn't give a gift of, of, of sweet-smelling glue that could be put on every seat in church so that people walking by would go in and sit down and be fixed for the whole message. He didn't give magical tokens. His gift, the resurrected Christ going back to heaven, he gave these ministries to the church so that it would build up the whole body. And so we find them, verses 11 and 12. So he gave some as apostles and some as prophets some as evangelists. That's not one that we've looked at uh, before. The term evangelist, you know, was a very common term in Roman times. Uh, it was kind of a cross between a town crier and political ads, at least American political ads. I don't know what yours are like in New Zealand. Our politicians are just 
amazing liars. I mean, it's, it's just, they tell, oh, it's all going to be good. And so these evangelists in those days, when a new governor would come, they would go around saying, now it's going to be two chariots in every garage, two chariots in every garage, because now a great ruler has come and he's changing everything. So the evangelist always has this great news, not just for people to come to Christ, but they are evangelists who bring to all of us the good news that because of who Christ is and what he has done, almost anything that you could possibly need is going to be answered by Christ. So they just keep pointing back to the cross. Evangelists are, they don't have any nerves in their body. They have no sensitivity to anything. You could chop their legs off and they will keep coming at you like this. They are going to preach the gospel no matter, no matter what. And then the last one he mentions are pastors and teachers. And some, some scholars think that it's a compound word, pastor-teacher. Others say, no, they're two distinct uh, kinds of things. And the passion of a pastor is to make sure that everyone is gathered and to make sure everyone is fed, and to make sure that everyone is tended to. I don't know if you know this, a little... You know, I'm having a hard time seeing the clock. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay, though. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Do you know that your pastors are somewhat tortured? Because on the one hand, they have this great desire to gather and gather more, not so, oh, wow, look how big. But when you see that there are people in need, you want to, you want to bring them in. And there's a lot of people who need shepherds. Jesus wept when he realized that the people of Jerusalem had no shepherds, nobody to, to bring them in, no one to make sure that they would be fed. So I think it's a good pastor who always wants to make room for more to come. But what happens as, as more get brought in, it becomes increasingly difficult for a pastor to be sure that every single person is being attended to. And so it's a kind of a love-hate. Uh, not hate. Did I say hate? No, no. Pastors want to say, come on, come on, come on. But they want you close so that they can make sure that you're not in danger and that you're having everything that you need given to them. So it's why we as pastors will often, how you going? And we really mean, what do you need? Because we want to help just like the giver, what you need, right? So it's a beautiful ministry uh, of, of the pastor. I personally believe it's a compound word, a pastor and a teacher, that those two things go together. Well, he will go on to say that the reason that God gave these gifts to the church is very, very particular, and we pick it up there about in the middle, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to do their, their ministry so that the whole body of Christ can be built up. So I think I'm concluding with this. In verse 16 of this same chapter, Paul describes the way in which a body of believers can, this is 
be strong. You're wondering what he's doing up there. I, I didn't lift a lot of weights, but this is, this is approximate. <laughs> that the way that a body can really be strong and be grown up in love is when every single member of that body learns how to function according to the way that they were designed. And to the extent that the ear is hearing and the nose is smelling and the eye is seeing and the fingers are touching and the vocal cords are making noise, to the extent that everybody is engaged doing what they're supposed to be doing, that is what creates this tremendously potent force in the midst of our culture and our world. And I personally believe that some of the weakness, if we could put it that way, of the, of the church is not because, eh, you know, the society's getting so bad. You know what? We, we did pretty well in the first century Mediterranean world, and that was seriously weird back then. I think the church is weakened because more than we would want to acknowledge, we have bought into a model that mostly says, my job, my job as a good Christian is to keep learning, good for you, and to keep being ministered to, not so good for you. The assignment and the calling on our life is that we, we are intercepted by God's great grace who begins to change things. And we receive so much ministry to ourselves, but the whole purpose of it is so that we would then be engaged and be able to do ministry for the sake of other people. And that's what these assignments, these body parts, your ministry is all about. And I'll just again use the analogy with the worship band. I sound good worshiping when there's a loud band. You know, and thank you very much. I know sometimes you back away from the music and you're so excited about us singing and I, I do it because I'm a submitted man. But, you know, sometimes I want to I wanna whip out a sheet of paper because I'm old school. I want to whip out a sheet of paper and say, okay, let's all write poetry. See how you like it. No. <laughs> so when the worship band which was fantastic this morning, tonight, thank you so much. When they're doing their job, I'm better. And in ministry, when the servers are doing their thing, when the givers are doing theirs, when the pastors are doing theirs, when the exhorters and when the prophets and when the showers of mercy are doing what they're supposed to be doing, oh, we're just all so much better. And we become a force to reckon with because we have been mobilized according to God's great, great design. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.